Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 225, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, three well-meaning phrases you shouldn't say to somebody when they're asking for help. You might be surprised. Stay with us. This is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This episode, Are the Kids All Right? Our guest says we're drowning our students in homework, and she's here to offer suggestions on how schools can help strike a healthier balance. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by a friend, Director of Curriculum and Instruction and Assessment, as well as co-host of the Class Dismissed podcast, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing? I am doing well. I have to tell you my title changed. No, it did not. <laughs> did it really? It did. What you got? Did. Did, did you have like, am, another hat that you're wearing, I guess? Well, yes. I am now the Chief Academic Officer. So I have still, I'm still all things curriculum instruction, but I'm also assessment. And a lot of people don't realize I'm also professional development and discipline and a ton of other little bitty things. So, but, <laughs> but you are the chief academic officer. That's what you're saying? Yes. So what, like, are you happy with this? Is this great? I mean, yes. of course you are, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy with it. Well, that's cool. You guys are getting ready to fire up school. Let me ask you a question I was thinking about today about just like teachers and schools and in general and stuff. How hard is it to keep from cluttering up your school, if you're the principal, and your classroom? I feel like, do you guys get time to really clear things out? Or I guess this is what I would worry about, that it'd be like, hey, we can't throw that desk out because we bought it and we would have to like inventory it. Like how much is stuff like we have to keep it just to keep it? I think that it all depends on your systems within your district. Let me just say that for some reason, each time that I took over a building as principal, it always seemed that I had to go in and clean it out. I don't know why, but I always left my building in tip top shape for the incoming principal. And so what I found is that each district always had like a surplus building or room where things that were still tagged or under inventory that could not be thrown out had to be placed if you were not using it. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes we would just, you know, share via email. Hey, we have extra filing cabinets if anyone needs it. So there's a lot of swapping and sharing going on. But as far as unnecessary paper, um, you always have to keep files for at least seven years for auditing purposes. But then after that, uh, um, we use shred companies um, to remove that material for us. There is absolutely no reason in the world for anyone's classroom or school building to be cluttered because that is not safe and it is not clean. So they won't let you, say, digitize a bunch of paperwork and that counts for the seven years. Like you've got to have hard copies of this stuff still. Absolutely. You must have hard copies because there's multiple, there's all types of audits that you can go to. But not only that, when students are transferring from school to school, district to district, state to state, oftentimes things get lost in the shuffle. And so sometimes it's happened to me where I've received a student who did not come with a cum folder, the last school couldn't find it, something to that effect. And we had to do a trace 
and sometimes found the actual cum folders three schools back. Wow. And imagine if that school had, you know, digitized it or thrown it away. All right. Today, I've got an article. You know, we always kind of talk K through 12 stuff, but I found an article in Psychology Today that I felt was applicable for every teacher, really every person. And then it was something that I had never really thought about. It was um, a therapist named Anthony Smith, and he gave three well-intentioned responses that he feels like people shouldn't say to people in need, okay? So in the title of the article is Three Things Therapists Shouldn't Say, but I think this could apply to teachers because they're often asked for help from students, okay? Mm -hmm. All right, the first one is, and I'm guilty of these. All right, the first one is when someone's telling you that they have a problem, you are not supposed to say, I understand. Have you ever thought about that and why? So are you not supposed to say, I understand to the problem they share? Or just to the statement that they have a problem? Uh, to the problem that they're sharing. Like, yeah, I think you don't want... Here's what he said. Saying this might show that you're listening and you're following along. Like, that's what I think my intention always was to say, I understand. Like, I'm, I'm following you. But the other person might take it to mean that he or she had a similar experience and knows how to solve the problem. That would be the only reason why I would say I understand is because I've been there before and can give suggestions or, you know, just tracing back my experiences. Uh, that's not something I say when someone tells me that. So and I, I've said it and I've been like, I understand. And then I go, actually, no, I don't. I've never had that happen. Like I've, I found myself saying that before. Mm. Um, but their recommendations are say, I recognize or I can see if you. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Or sometimes I've even said, you know, I just can't imagine because I haven't experienced it. I like that. That's good. All right. So the next one is they recommend never say there's not much we can do about that. Um, which I don't say that that often, but do you ever find I yourself? I don't say it that often, but I have said it, but I always follow up with here are here, here are our options, you know, not just closing the door. That's even like when a doctor says there's nothing else we can do. Don't say that. What are my options? <laughs> and that was actually one of the, the things that they say in the article. They pointed to like a doctor saying, oh, there's not much we can do about that. And even if there isn't anything you do, it's recommending that you don't say that. They say, again, right. it's an attempt to ground the other person in reality and accept that some things can't be changed, but the words can actually increase anxiety and hopelessness and despair mm -hmm. for the person that's hearing that. So they say it's better. It's it, you're actually supposed to do what you just said to help the person develop strategies for managing the situation in the best way possible. So, yes, right. I agree. All right. So, so far we have, we aren't supposed to say, I understand. I like this. And the other one is there's not much we can do about that. The third one is you just have to, and then say like what the solution is. You should never. Why? Because apparently. Why do I have to? You know what I mean? Like, right. why? And, and so this implies that the solution is obvious, especially they say the word just is really like the trigger there. So it's like, oh, you just have to do this or oh, you just you're almost minimalizing the problem that the person brought to you. And you don't want to do that, of course. Yeah. So I get it. So if the copier machine here in our office is not functioning and I said, oh, it just needs more paper, that might make the other person feel insecure because they didn't realize it was such a small thing that it needed. And I get that um, because I think that that happens quite a bit. Not not that I say that. I think it's said to me. I'm not great with the fax machines or the copiers. Well, <laughs> and they'll always say, oh, Miss Pollard, it just needs ink. I really like your example because it seems like something that's really minimal, but like, I guess you could be like, I know that you put paper, I've already done that. But it's also about perspective because for me, it's, is that what it needed? Well, thank you for helping me. <laughs> you know, right. I'm excited that they got it fixed. Yeah. Someone else may feel that you're trying to make them look small. 
And of course, uh, the author, Anthony Smith, says the key is to help the person figure out a better way to address or cope with the problem. Um, of course, if we're talking about um, bigger things. So again, I understand. Not good. There's not much we can do about that. Not good. And you just have to. Not good. And I just thought, all right, this is good. Everyone needs to hear this. Like, because it's stuff we're, we're trying to help, right? Like, that's why mm-hmm. I would say those things. But sometimes it can be seen as not helpful. I get that. And, and so here's an alternative for the copy machine situation. Okay. Someone could say to me, hey, let me show you. Take a look at the screen here. And this is where it gives us the messages for what exactly is wrong with the copier. And then I have a strategy now when it's not working. For right. Me. And then they don't bother you again. Teach them to fish rather than fish for them, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. All right. Here's here's the other thing. You brought up copy machine. Are you, are you clearly you're not? Because I still call it a Xerox. And then, then like, do you ever but do that? But you know what? That's a company, not. I know. Because mm-hmm, we have a sharp. <laughs> and I don't think, I don't even know if Xerox still makes copiers anymore. So I, I remember no like, idea. I would be around the workplace and I'd be like, hey, can you go Xerox this for me? And like the millennials would look at me like, what? Like, what are you saying? And I'm like, that's uh, funny. It. Yeah. Anyhow, that's my copy. You're right. No, that's true. Can you think of something else like that? Um, no, but I, one thing that always is kind of post-its. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then the other one is if you ever see somebody write like the sentence, um, it's a dumpster fire, right? Dumpster uh-huh. is supposed to be capitalized because dumpster is a proper noun. Like it is an actual company. So, uh, oh, wow. so the D in dumpster should always be capitalized whenever. And that's one that always gets people. And then, uh, Kleenex, I refer to tissues as Kleenex. They're all Kleenex to me. Exactly. You're yeah. right. I do that too. Yeah. Anyhow. All right, Christina, are you ready for today's bright idea? Pumped up about it. Our guest in today's Bright Ideas segment is the author of Rethinking Homework and Rethinking Grading. Dr. Kathy Vatterot was recently featured on Educational Leadership with her article titled, The Teens Are Not All Right. And she's here to talk to us about the excessive workloads and cram schedules that are putting a major stress load on teens today. Kathy, welcome to Class Dismissed. Great. Thank you. Nice to be here. There's an, uh, a line in your article that, that really kind of um, grabbed me. And you write, I see a teen e- epidemic of what I call a rudderless box checkers, four AP classes, check, debate team, check, two sports, check, honor roll, check. And you talk about how these students are just kind of going through the motions of, of doing all these things, but they're not necessarily happy when they're doing them. How did we get here? That's that's the ultimate question, isn't it? Um, I, I've been doing a lot of reading uh, about related sort of issues about college admissions and things like that. And I, I think what's happened is that we as a culture, ha- especially in highly affluent communities, have bought into an idea that if you don't get into these one of these 10 colleges, you're going to be a failure. And that we've connected that as like, this is the only way that you can be successful in your life. And and they've made this like an incredibly high stakes game for kids. It definitely wasn't like this when I was in school. And, and I think you cite some teachers um, where they're talking about just like how extreme some students are. So just in case if somebody listening isn't you know up to speed on this, it, you're basically saying that some kids are acting as if they get a B, it's like an F. Or um, you have this just extreme competition of, you know, trying to get into all those AP classes or be in multiple sports and stuff. And then if something goes wrong, these these teens are actually having meltdowns, like, I mean, just breaking down into tears or, or you know, it's putting a lot of emphasis on being successful. Um, 
you know, is, is this really a problem that it just spreads everywhere? I mean, you were kind of focusing on like the, I guess you would call it the schools that are pushing in towards Ivy League schools, but is this is this across the board as well? I, I think there are there are students like that in many schools. Uh, this all came about from my work in consulting and working with with schools around the country, and I just saw kind of a different dynamic in schools that were considered highly competitive schools. So I'm sure there are students like that. And even my college students, I have some students that are just so anxious about everything having to be perfect. And so, so I'm not sure that it's everywhere, but it's, it's widespread from what I've seen. How much of the problem is homework? I think homework is a huge problem. And that is because we we have this confusion in education that uh, rigor equals load, that if we want to be a rigorous course or a rigorous school, then they should have five hours of homework. And most of the research shows us that there's not a lot of benefit in high school after two hours a night. And the other thing that the research shows us is that most of this homework that students are getting, they don't feel is meaningful. And so one is a load issue, but the other thing that makes it stressful is that they're not seeing the importance of what they're doing. It's just work. How, how do we fix that? How do we make, you know, teachers, I guess, lighten that load or, or hand out more meaningful homework? Well, that's what I do. That's, you know, that's what I've been doing is working with schools and trying to explain to them that there's a better way to do this. I just I feel like teachers uh, have never been trained in homework and therefore they don't know what is considered quality tasks and that they that they all everybody has too much content to teach. And so teachers are saying, oh, my gosh, I have to put this on homework. That's the only way it's all going to get covered when, in fact, the more successful teachers have prioritized what they're covering and they do less. They do less content, but they cover it more deeply. What would you say to the to the teacher that is defending the the heavy homework load practice and saying, you know what, um, as you leave middle school and go into high school or as you leave high school and go to college, this is the way it's going to be. This is the real world. You're going to have to work really hard. So therefore, I'm just trying to prepare you for the future. Well, and that's really not the way we prepare students to do. We don't prepare students to do five hours of homework in college by giving them five hours of homework in high school. The way we prepare kids is to teach them the skills that they need to be able to to act, actually handle the work, but it's not about time. Time is not the metric. And my favorite line from that, I, I talked to an elementary uh, teacher who said, well, then let's just let's just get rid of recess. They're not going to have recess in middle school, so then I guess we shouldn't have recess in elementary school. Uh, and that's that's really a good example. It's like every age level of, ch- of child is different developmentally and has different needs. And which kind of leads me to my next topic. You talk about, you list things that teens should be doing. And, um, and I don't want to like steal your thunder or anything. So if you want to elaborate on these as I go, but you talk about how important it is to, to read for pleasure, um, to, to play a game where winning doesn't matter. Yeah, I just, I was just so, um, when I started working on this article, I was just so taken aback at, at what I don't see young people doing. I, I don't see them 
reading for pleasure. I don't see them. I'm laying out on my patio and I'm looking up at the clouds and I'm thinking, when do kids get to do this? When do kids get to just do something downtime, just to do downtime, just to do something where there is nothing productive happening? And I feel like that's part of how kids grow and develop their identities is by having that reflective time. So when you go and work with schools, do you think the problem is certain teachers or does it start with the leadership? Does the principal or the superintendent of the district need to come in and say, we need to set certain guidelines? Well, that's the dilemma because every school, I, I was a school principal in my past and every school leader struggles with how much standardization do I want in my school and how much freedom do I want to give teachers And we all struggle with that because we know that teachers want a certain amount of freedom. And so part of that is is this dynamic between administrators and teachers. And actually, most of the time when I am brought in to work with schools, it is at the um, invitation of the administrators that, that they feel like teachers really just need more education about what is what is valuable homework and what is the right balance for kids. So I I think it's, I think it's usually coming from administrators who see the big picture where classroom teachers are pretty focused on their individual subjects and they're often not, not thinking about the big picture. So I'm giving homework, but I don't think about the fact that so are the other five teachers that that student has if they're in middle school or high school. And so it seems like you carefully choose to say limit homework. You're, are you not advocating for eliminating homework across a district altogether? No, not at all. I, I have to laugh because uh, every time I do an interview, someone will say, well, homework, are you for it or against it? Like there's only two choices. So right. no, I'm kind. I'm a middle of the road person that uh, believes that uh, some homework is beneficial but that we should be making it quality tasks and that we should uh, not be weighting it so heavily in the grade that kids are cheating. And, you know, there's just all sorts of, uh, of caveats there, but no, I'm, I'm an, a middle of the road person that believes that some is good, but too much is not. And so can you give me a, a pro tip, so to speak of like, how do you know that the homework you're handing out is meaningful? What do you tell teachers? Well, I, I have defined certain qualities uh, that make homework a, a quality task. And the first one is it, like, how much time do we have, right? Um, but the big thing is that there should be a learning goal attached to that assignment. Nothing should go home without the student and parents specifically understanding what the goal of that assignment is. And then there needs to be some choice involved for the student to get to that goal. So we tend to think um, we tend to think our tasks are infallible. Like uh, everyone should um, practice these math facts X number of times and in this way. And when in fact, not that's not the way every student learns. So I'm really advocating for more choice, more personalization for students, and for it to be time based not task-based. And what I mean by that is that students work at different speeds. And so I would prefer that teachers would be saying, spend 20 minutes on this task and then draw a line and work longer if you like, but you are not obligated to work longer than that. 
Uh, one thing I like that you suggest, you talk about um, maybe limiting the the amount that homework is worth, or I guess the, the weight of the grade that homework yes. has. Yes. Why, why is that a good idea? So when I started doing the research on the standards-based grading, and I looked at schools in which they weren't grading homework, and my work in Canada, the Canadian teachers uh, seldom grade homework or count it in the grade. They give feedback on it, but they don't count it in the grade. So what happens um, when homework counts too heavily in the grade is it, it muddies the picture of the student's achievement. So there are students who are hurt by not completing homework and taking a bad grade that maybe they're an A student, but they're getting a B because they're not doing the homework. And then we have students that are helped by homework that their mastery level is possibly a C, but they're padding their grade with the homework. And then they're turning out to be a B student when they're really not a B student. And so to me, it's the mismatch that happens when we weight it too heavily. And then one more thing is for students who either cannot or will not work at home, we're now punishing them for their home environment or for their lack of um, uh, persistence at home. And I just don't think that's fair and especially not fair to our children who live in poverty. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to get slightly personal on my own regard sure. um, with, with my kids. And, and you can tell me if I'm a, a bad or a good parent, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, right. But but so I, I had an eighth grader. Or I have an eighth grader. And he's, you know, he's a high achiever. Is three AP courses. He's He was in a play. He was the lead role in the play um, while simultaneously, you know, doing soccer. And when all this stuff was kind of coming to a head, exams were coming up, he, he said, we were out in the car and he said, Dad, I, I'm falling behind at school. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I'm falling behind on my homework. And, and I never thought I would tell my, my child this, but I said, son, I was like, you are, you know, you're, you're excelling in all these places. Sometimes something has to give. I said, you know, you may just need to go to your teacher and say, you know, I'm in all this stuff and I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to turn this assignment in. And that's okay. Like, that's not the end of the world. And, and I mean, is that, is that good advice? I mean, should we try to, as parents, take some of that load off of them? I definitely think so. And what's interesting is that there is a huge growth right now in parent activism around homework in which parents are uh, are just saying no. Uh, my favorite story, a teacher uh, told me that uh, she got a homework assignment back from the student and the parent had written a note on it. No, thank you. <laughs> and I, I thought, yeah, that's what's happening is that parents are saying no, thank you. Uh, and and they're telling their kids that it's okay to not complete the work. It's weird that we've gotten here. I mean, w- how quickly did you see this evolve? I know. I mean, this is this is your specialty. I mean, did you, was this happening ten years ago? Um, no, I would say within the last ten years, maybe within, uh, especially within the last say five or six years. And it's just been a it's been a trend that's been starting and building. Um, and really starting to to catch fire, I would say, over the last maybe five to six years. Now, tell me a little bit about um, what what you do at your website. It's homeworklady.com. Well, I'm basically having that as a, it's a resource for teachers and for schools and parents if they're interested. Uh, And I'm just putting, I've just put some of my articles on there and um, like where I'm going to be speaking next and um, basically just a resource for people um, to learn more about homework. 
And also they can email me from the, the website if they, if they want to. And I, I take a lot of, I guess what I would call cold calls. I take a lot of emails from teachers or parents that just have questions. And um, I'm just, it's kind of my mission to try to educate people more about homework. I know Twitter is such a big uh, community for educators. Um, if somebody wants to keep up with you on there, uh, do you mind telling us your handle? Right. Um, I'm at, I'm at real homework lady, except there's no a in the lady. There was someone else that was out there that was homework lady years ago. I already scooped that one. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's so it's real homework L D Y is my handle. All right, Kathy. We again appreciate your time and, and you taking the time to talk about this topic. Um, are you ready for our pop quiz? I'm ready for the pop quiz. All right. First question: If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Wow. Probably math, because I don't think we, I think some of the other things you might be able to pick up easier. And then I've now insulted everyone else except the math teachers. <laughs> nah. Um, what are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Mental health, stress, stress reduction. What does every child deserve? Wow. A teacher who cares. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Diversity. Diversity of learning styles and diversity of economics and parenting styles. And the list goes on. What's the best gift to give an educator? Time. Which teacher changed your life? Wow. My 10th grade math teacher. Can't remember his name, but it's a while ago. What did he do? He, um, I got to be his turnabout teacher. Um, I was uh, very good in math and um, loved math. And actually, he let me be his turnabout teacher. And at that point, I knew that's what I wanted to do for my life. And that's what I've done. And last question, pen or pencil? Pencil. So you can erase your mistakes. That's right. All right, Kathy, again, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. If you want to keep up with her, you can check out her website at homeworklady.com. Great. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. <laughs>